0: Hello everybody. Um, shall I yeah, I'll just carry on talking, Beck will sort me out. Um, the subject today is, is a continuation of our um, uh, series on the church. And um, at some point I must have put up my hand and said I'd be willing to preach. And yet, and so here I am. And I've been given the subject of priesthood of all believers. The church is the priesthood of all believers, but I then had a look in the Bible and discovered it really isn't in there. It's, it's, it's a made-up thing, the priesthood. Will, well, that's not quite true, made-up. But that phrase is not used in the Bible. Um, but it's trying to express something. And uh, in, in 1 Peter 2, um, Peter writes uh, to the church He says, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So there he says we, the church, are being built into a holy priesthood and I think that's sort of where it came from and actually I, I did a bit of research because the internet's terribly useful when you don't know what you're doing and it, and it turns out that the priesthood of all believers was attributed to Martin Luther who became so concerned that the established church that he was a, a minister in um, was so, do I need to do something to stop it going like that I don't know that's very echoey. Stand somewhere else. Where am I looking? Maybe. Shall I just carry on and hope for the best? Um, Martin Luther really concerned that the 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 church had effectively set up the clergy, those employed by the church, as being the only way to reach God. And so, uh, the 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 he the church had kind of reestablished the role of the priest that came from the Old Testament, and he said, no, the Bible doesn't teach that. It, teaches that Jesus is the high priest. I'm sure that's on there somewhere, on our list of names. Jesus is the high priest, and he is the way to God. There is no other way. You don't need some other person in between. You don't need an intermediary, as it's called. You don't need someone else. You just need Jesus. And so he set about trying to challenge that in the, the church. There is a role for people to, to minister in the church. There are those who are called to different roles. But being a priest isn't actually one of them bizarrely, the actual priest who's the, this person between uh, someone else and God. That became unnecessary. But I wanted to have a look at why that might have come about. And so I think we need to look at the Old Testament first. And I know, Ray, that you know, you're not a big fan of it. That's fine. But there's, there's a few bits that give us clues as to what on earth this is about and what the priests used to have to do. Um, and so... There's just loads. There's a whole book. The, the priests were taken from the tribe of Levi. All the, um, the different uh, tribes got given land, and so each, each tribe had land except the Levites. They didn't get any land in the, in, the, um, in the promised land. They were actually paid for or looked after or supported by all the other tribes, so there were tithes given. That is a, a tenth of the, all the produce and so on was, was passed on, and that went to, to feed the priests and to look after them, because they didn't have the land that they could grow their own stuff on. And so they were dependent on the others. But but from God's perspective, they were were set apart. He chose them. He chose this this group of people to say, you're the ones who will actually um, represent me to the people. That's what a priest did. And the priest had three things to do, really. Um, One was, surprisingly, they, they, um, they were responsible for authenticating whether someone was ill or not. And it actually gets referred to in the New Testament as well, where Jesus sends someone to the priest when, they, when he has healed them of leprosy. Um, and, uh, and that was one of their jobs, was to be the, almost the, the adjudicator. Is this person well or not? Um, which may seem a bit strange. Um, the, the second thing they did is they taught. They taught from the law. They've got a whole book. the Levitic- There's a book called Leviticus. And if you ever read through the Bible in a year or something, you dread the Leviticus bit. It just goes on and on. But actually, there is a reason for that, but it's not my favorite book. Am I allowed to say that? The, um, but in there was the law, and they taught the people. That was the role of the priest. But probably the most notable thing was the priest was the one who received the offerings and sacrifices that were made by the people and passed them on to God. The people were not allowed to do it themselves. They went through the priest's. And then I just wanted to look particularly um, at why that was needed. And, um, and it was the sin, people's things we've done wrong that separate people from God. And there was a need to, to deal with that. And there was a whole a very elaborate series of different offerings and sacrifices that could be made. Um, and they were brought to the, the priests and then they brought them to God. Um, but actually... All they were doing was that, uh, we know from the story in the, in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, God said that you won't live forever now, you're going to die, because sin is actually, the result of sin is that you're going to die. And for the whole of humanity ever since, we, we don't last forever well on this earth, we are going to die, it's the certainty. But actually that, that death is the result of sin, it's the consequences of sin, the Bible's very clear on that back in Genesis. And so when we're actually dealing with, with uh, when, when God said the people need to recognize that their sin is separating from me, he put in place a series of, of other creatures, other animals that were killed because they died rather than the people. And it was indicating that a death needs to take place to put right the consequences of sin because ultimately that, that was the, the, pay, the, the punishment for sin, if you like, the result of sin. The New Testament says the wages of sin is death in Romans. So, there were all these animals which were, were sacrificed. It's a really messy business if you read through it. Um, uh, you know, it quite, we, we'd probably have quite great difficulty with it now. Um, we've very carefully managed to avoid seeing our animals being sacrificed that we eat um, and uh, are slightly removed from that unless you've been brought up on a farm when you'd be a little more familiar with it. But actually, in those times, that was what happened. An animal would die and it was a kind of substitution. So, rather than the people dying, the animal died, and, and that was to represent the, the consequences of sin. But it didn't really fix the problem. And it probably was never meant to fix the problem. It was just indicating that there needed to be a proper fix because death was the result of sin. So, um, there was one person who was referred to as the high priest. And uh, uh, the High Priest had a particular job to do, uh, several particular jobs, but one particular one, once a year, on the day of atonement. Um, the Jews still celebrate the, the, or recognize the Day of atonement, uh, Yom Kippur, I think it's the Jewish phrase, the Hebrew phrase. Um, but the day of atonement, once a year, um, because they were you know it became obvious that, that actually sin was all over the place. We, we all do things wrong all the time. you know I, I you know get. Angry with my wife and children, <laughs> um, I find myself irritated by other people. I get road rage. All these things—they're all actually not how God expects me to behave. There could be much more serious things as well. Um, Jesus says that. Um, Jesus said that if, if you, um, if you, in your heart would actually uh, want wish someone else dead, that was as bad as murdering them. So it's quite a serious thing. There's something wrong inside in our hearts. Um, and actually, every one of those things is, is a separation between us and God. It's not how we're supposed to be. It's not how he designed us to be, ultimately. So, once a year, the high priest would make a particular sacrifice, and it went, it went like this. Um, so, the high priest would uh, sacrifice a bull for his own sin and his family's sin, and, um, and take the blood of that, and we'll come to what he's going to do with that in a minute, and then... There were two goats were selected, and they had to be perfect goats, unblemished goats. It says no, no markings, no in, in uh, no disabilities of any kind. Perfect goats. And the two goats, they then uh, cast a lot. The high priest would cast a lot, so like roll a dice or toss a coin if they had one. Um, but they, they cast lots. There was a way of doing it, but it'd be for us like tossing a coin if you can still remember coins. Um, and and the consequence of that tossing of the coin was chose one goat would be sacrificed and, and go and and uh, its blood would be taken as well and then and the other one the priest would symbolically lay his hands on it and send it out into the desert and it would never be seen again and it and it, it was uh, there's a bit of argument but it's basically how where we got the, the phrase scapegoat scapegoat was someone the, the, the goat definitely had not sinned this was not the issue but the people's sin was was symbolically put on the goat and sent out into the desert. There's all sorts of weird and wonderful theories, but, but my, my belief is that the main understanding of that was it represented God saying, your sins are far away. Um, in Psalm 103, he says, I've, I've, uh, my, the, the psalmist writes, my, my sins are, are taken farther than the east is from the west. Way away, God actually is saying, I'm taking your sins away on this goat. But at the same time, there's still a punishment for those sins that, that you have committed, and the other goat would be sacrificed. Right, now we come to the high priest bit. So the high priest then um, would have to, having made the sacrifice himself, then have to bathe and put on particular garments. And then uh, the garments had bells on. I had some bells. So they'd have a bell attached to their garments. We're going to do some dressing up. I don't think we're going to have time. And um, the, the... Uh, The bells on their garments, because there was a a place in the temple that was called the Holy of Holies, or the very holy place, right in the middle, protected by a huge sheet, a huge curtain. And nobody was allowed in there, because that's where God's presence was. And the likelihood is, if anyone actually was exposed to God's presence, they would die for their sin. And the, the Jews understood that. God made it very clear. And there's no point where anyone, except the high priest, once a year. But he went through all this ritual. So then took the blood of the bull and the goats and the goat that had been sacrificed and uh, was dressed appropriately. And they say now, it doesn't say in the Bible, but but since then, people said a rope was tied around the high priest, uh, either around his waist or around his ankle. And that was left outside the tent. And then when he went in, they'd listen. And if they heard him fall, because the bells would ring on, on his clothing they heard him fall, they could pull him out by the rope without having to go into where God's presence was themselves. This is serious business. It was expected. There was a likelihood that the high priest might not have gone through enough of the ritual and therefore sin would cause the high priest to die. This is what it was like to come into the presence of God. It was a serious, serious business. So, went through all that once a year and then it was like a new start, the Day of Atonement, like a new start for the year. God said, right, your sin is dealt with, Let's, let's carry on. And he desired that people for himself. Right. So you've got an idea of just how how serious it was. And, uh, you know, high priest being pulled out on bits of rope. It is, as far as I can uh, establish, that really did happen, although I've got no record of whether any particular high priest died in the process. But they expected it. And all through the Old Testament, you can see an understanding that if anyone was ever confronted with the presence of God, they are likely to die. And you see that echoed in... Uh, all sorts of stories through the Old Testament. But we're coming to what is my favorite bit of the Old Testament. Okay, And I do have one, and even though I'm sure the whole Bible is brilliant, my favorite bit is in Jeremiah chapter 31 and starts at verse 31. And it's the, the words. the Old Testament, testament means an agreement, a covenant. And, and so there was an old agreement of how it would work with, with a whole system of sacrifices to put right the relationship between the people of God and God. But it was in the Old Testament, it points forward to the New Testament, the new agreement, the new covenant. And God says this, he says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel, with the people of Judah. It won't be like their old covenant, the, I made, the old covenant I made with their ancestors, when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. This, this, when I found this, in the, the, no one had explained this to me when I was growing up. I was 18 before I had anything to do with Christianity. But when I discovered this is in the Old Testament, this is what we're leading for. The whole of the Old Testament is leading towards this, this new covenant, where God says, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, their my people. No one needs to get in the way between any person and God. As Ray's already said, everyone is equal. There is no hierarchy here. It says, from the least to the greatest, they will all know me. They can all have a relationship with me. It's just fantastic good news. And there it is in the Old Testament saying, this is going to happen. I'm going to do it. This is what we're leading towards. And then we find in the New Testament, Jesus is described as the high priest. He's the one who can go and approach the Father because he's the only one who didn't deserve to die, and yet he did die for us. And so he's the only one we need between us and the consequences of our sin. Faith in Jesus is all that is required. Nothing else is required. We don't have to dress up. We don't have to do ceremonial bathing. We don't have to sacrifice animals. We don't have to have a rope tied around our foot just in case. We can come boldly to the throne of grace. We can come without any of those barriers. When Jesus died on the cross, it's recorded that the the temple curtain was torn from top to bottom. Indicating that it wasn't done by someone at the bottom pulling it apart. It was done by God saying, the curtain's not needed anymore. Jesus has made that way possible. Every one of you is able through faith in him to come to the Father. Just like I come to the Father. It's fantastic good news. Jesus is our high priest. And so we'll come back eventually to the subject. that The priesthood of all believers. Every one of us has that relationship We are a holy priesthood. We are the ones now who can approach God because we don't go standing on anything other than I I have faith in Jesus that my sins are covered by his sacrifice. And so I can actually go to the Father. I I have the role of of the priest because I can do that. I'm not sure that it, it means necessarily that we're to behave like Priests, but that's a whole other sermon in terms of what else that might mean and whether the church certainly we have a role to represent God to others who don't yet know him who've not yet met him which would be partly the priest's role but I think mostly that, that phrase is in there because it's saying there's no longer a priesthood we're all in it there's no longer a separate, every one of us is chosen, not just the Levites now we're all chosen, we can all have that relationship so really shouldn't do this off an iPad. I should use bits of paper. The veil and the elaborate rituals that were undertaken by the priests were a reminder that a man could not carelessly or irreverently enter God's awesome presence. And I wanted us to to kind of reflect on that because this is the same God. There's not one God of the Old Testament and a different one in the New. It's the same God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, I wanted perhaps just to to focus a little on the the things that could spoil for us that invitation, Um, as it says in Hebrews, to approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We've already heard how God encouraging us to say, if you're in a time of need, come. Thank you for the the word you shared. Just that, that is our calling, is to come but there are things that can actually get in the way. I've always been struck by Jesus um, when he was asked how we should pray, and he taught us the Lord's Prayer, and as a church, we we tend not to recite it, um, but maybe we should now and again, because there's some interesting bits in it, But, but probably the biggest for me is when we ask God to forgive us in the same way as we forgive others. That's a huge thing to say, isn't it? So saying, God, I understand that my sin... You know, in the Old Testament, my sin would have caused me to die if I come into your presence. And I know that I have forgiveness in Jesus, but I'm actually asking you to forgive me in the same way as I forgive other people. And I thought, well, maybe that's just a slight misinterpretation, but then Jesus backs it up with a few stories. So here we go. Peter um, goes up to Jesus and says, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister um, who sins against me? He said, up to seven times. I believe at the time there was an understanding that three times and you're out, or possibly four. Um, but actually, Peter was very generously saying, no, I'm going to forgive my brother seven times. Surely that's good enough. And Jesus says, not seven times, but 77 or 70 times, 7 a load of times, more times than you're going to count, basically. When, when, you're, when someone has sinned against you, you're going to keep forgiving them. And then he told a story. And he said, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children should all be sold to repay the debt. I'm glad we don't live in a society like this. But this was a big deal. It was more than he could ever possibly pay. At this, the servant fell on his knees before his master and said, be patient with me. I will pay everything back. And the servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins, so just a fraction of the, the hundreds of bags of gold, owed a 100 silver coins. He grabbed him, began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged and went and told the master everything that had happened. The master called the first servant back in. You wicked servant, he said, I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This This is a difficult story. And you can imagine the people sitting around listening to Jesus telling that. God has forgiven us a huge debt, an unbelievable debt, a debt that without it being paid, we would die in his presence. And all he's saying in return is, because you've been forgiven that huge debt, the minor things that that other people do to you, you can forgive because you've been forgiven the huge debt. That's the whole essence of that. So not seven times or 70 times, loads of times, just keep forgiving because I've forgiven you so much more. You and I, God says, are the only ones who know all the stuff that goes on in your head that you need to be forgiven for. But I'm prepared to set all that aside. That's all been paid for by Jesus on the cross and all I'm asking in return is you show the same mercy to those who have sinned against you. We do it not out of anything other than it's, it's a reflection of how God has treated us. It's not, I must do that so that God will forgive me. It's the other way around. God has forgiven me so much, nothing else has any significance. Jesus was asked what the most important commandments were. Anyone have a go who remembers most important commandment? Thank you. Yep. Yes. Yes love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, or whatever order we want it in. And the second, he said, is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. They're the two things. And said the law is summed up in those two things, love God and love your neighbor. And as a church, there is a challenge for us. How do we work that out? And actually, the church, we should be recognized in the world by our love we have for each other. That's in the Bible too. So, there's one other bit as well, just to kind of <laughs> labor it slightly. In Matthew 3, Jesus said, in talking about this, this whole business, said, therefore, if you, have an offering, if, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and remember that a brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, go and sort it out, and then come and offer your gift. There's a few places in the Bible where they take a little... Um, kind of wrestling with. Um, I like the one that says don't let the sun go down on your anger and I've often planned how I'm going to stop the sun setting. (laughs) But obviously it doesn't mean that. The reason it's phrased like that is it's something you cannot stop. It said sort it out before the sun sets. It's obvious, isn't it? This one is the same. It's saying, it's not saying "Don't, don't bring your worship to God, don't bring your offering, don't bring your sacrifice to him. It's saying sort it out with one another before you do that. The Bible describes us as priests who can bring spiritual sacrifices. That's the the passage at the beginning, 1 Peter. And uh, spiritual sacrifices really need a bit of kind of understanding, I think. And so these weren't like the Old Testament sacrifices, saying because we are now made right with God already, we don't need those. Jesus is that sacrifice. But the spiritual sacrifices we can bring are our prayers, our praises, our will. The actual sacrifice of saying, not my will, but God's will in a situation. We often know what it is we should be doing. We'd really prefer what our will says, but it's a sacrifice. Um, the Bible tells us to um, sacrifice our bodies in, in a way of actually not just giving to what our body wants, but actually say, no, I won't put that first. I will put what God wants first. Our time and our talents. And Jesus' sacrifice for us means that we are now actually able to please God. The Jews really had a difficult time pleasing God because there was this barrier continually and they were, they were distant from him. We can go right up close. It, it's the closest relationship between God and, and us, his children. And we can bring him pleasure and we can do it as we, we, in terms of spiritual sacrifices. It's so easy compared to what had to be done before. Jesus has done all the hard work. We can bring pleasure to God. So I was gonna ask if we might just take a bit of time to uh, think about, are there things that actually are barriers between me and others? I often see people on the news and, and they've gone through some awful thing has happened and somebody has done something awful to them or to their family. And, and they stand and they, they're interviewed, which is really cruel, and, said, and they say, I can never forgive them. And while there are some things which are huge and they are difficult to forgive, the sad thing is that, that the unforgiveness doesn't really hurt the person you're not forgiving. It just hurts you. Unforgiveness is, is really deadly in your heart. It, it damages your relationship, obviously, with the person you're not forgiving, but it damages your relationship with God. Because, Jesus said, when you pray, pray forgive me in the same way as I forgive others. There is a consequence. So I was going to say, let's take a bit of time and... Uh, and kind of go through some of these things in our hearts but before we set off to confront others and you know I I can imagine this can go really badly and people say Brenton three months ago you stood stood on my foot and you didn't say sorry and so I've decided to forgive you now that will do no good at all that isn't a problem between me and Brenton that's a problem between me and God he doesn't need to know that he doesn't even know he did it and and I've been holding it in my heart now I've picked a trivial example because the, the serious stuff is really serious but actually there are things that get in the way and we're hanging on to them for no good reason and it's a barrier between the other person, but it's also interfering with us living in the the kind of full benefit of being forgiven by Jesus. So I'm not going to say, don't go around, don't just say, right, end of the meeting, let's all go up to people and tell them how much we're now going to forgive them for things they have no idea about. That's not what this is about. What we should be doing, I'd like to encourage us to do, is to sort it out between yourself and God the Father. Consider, and and actually ask him to reveal to you, are there things that are actually getting in the way? Am I holding on to things against other people? And, And help me to forgive. It's actually, it's a gift of God to be able to forgive someone else. It is really hard sometimes, particularly when they don't really want the forgiveness, or they're not even aware that they're causing the problem. People are really irritating. There's no (laughs) doubt about it. But, but, God loves those people just the same as he loves you. There is no difference. We've been reminded, God has no favorites. We're all loved just the same. We all have that same um, position in his family. So we have no right to do this. But we do need to sort it out. So, you thought we were going to have a nice talk about the church being the priesthood of all believers, and here we are. So I'd like us just to take a bit of time now. I'm probably going to ask Brenton to kind of lead it a bit. And, uh, and just to pray, I think, and, and then we'll end. I think, oh, there's a song I'd like us to sing. There's a song, isn't there? Yes, I'd like us to sing. Um, but we have been given a, forgiven a huge debt. And, and look at the consequences of sin that there would have been in our lives if we lived under the Old Testament system. And that is meant to give us the perspective. The reason all that is in there is to give us an understanding of, of how huge it is to break the relationship between us and God. And that's meant to give us a perspective on therefore our relationship with one another.